Let's pray together. Father, uh, when we look back on our lives, we know the times that we feel lost and desperate are the times when we have walked away from you. Father, I just pray you give us the strength to stay close, that you give us the faith to follow you. Father, we thank you for your love and for your grace, that you are the God of second chances, and we are just so grateful for how you have blessed us. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can take a seat. Morning, everybody. Um, Before I forget, I just wanted to um, just say that this Wednesday night is a very special night for our church we uh, are doing what we call a state of Westridge. So it would be a very meaningful experience for you if you were to come Wednesday night. We're kind of going to give a history, a little bit of Westridge, kind of where we've been, uh, where we're going. So it'd be great if um, everybody could be there Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. I think it'd be worth your time. Uh, Today, we are concluding a series entitled Outliers, which, as we've defined it, is about ordinary people lifted from the pages of the Old Testament who find themselves in an extraordinary set of circumstances where they're faced with some type of a tough choice. Do they or don't they? And the decision that they make in that moment becomes the defining moment for the rest of their lives. And so today is no different. There is an obscure passage in the scriptures that most of us have never even given any thought to. And if you've even actually read it, you've probably just blown right by it without even realizing the impact of what you've just read because it's just like a blip on the screen. But I would say that from the pages of the Old Testament as it deals with the history of Israel, it is probably one of the most inspirational and heroic passages, I think, in the entire Bible. The 23rd chapter of 2 Samuel is dedicated to listing out all of the great warriors who fought under King David. It begins with talking about three of the most heroic There's a guy named Joshabim who takes on an enemy army of 300 men all by himself. There's another guy named Eleazar who fought so long and hard against their arch enemies, the Philistines, that uh, the story goes that his hand actually became frozen to his sword. And the chapter talks about 30 more of the greatest warriors uh, that Israel had ever known. But there was one that stood out among all the rest. It was kind of the best of the best, if you will. And his name was Beniah. And the word Beniah in Hebrew means God has built. And in this case, God has built himself a great warrior. Because that's exactly what he was. Let me uh, read for you from 2 Samuel chapter 23 uh, so that we can see what made him so famous. It says, there was also, after this list, it says, there was also Benaiah, son of Jehoda, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel, and he did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time, on a snowy day, he chased down a lion into a pit and killed it. 
Now, in case you're wondering what makes this verse so incredible, normal people run away from lions. They don't go chasing them down. They run as far and as fast as they can in the total opposite direction, and they try to get away. Most of us have only encountered lions at the zoo where they're locked away in a cage and you can observe them from a safe spot. But if you were to get up and close and personal with a lion, you would see exactly why they are called the king of the jungle. These animals are absolutely enormous. I uh, had the privilege of being able to go on safari not too long ago in Africa, and so I thought I'd show you a few of my pictures just to give you an idea of how big these animals are. Lions are like 500 pounds. They stand over four feet tall when they're on all fours. So you can just imagine how big they get when they rear up. They can run up to 35 miles an hour and they can leap up to 30 feet in a single bound. Its jaws are so powerful that it can crush a skull, and its paws alone are so big and powerful that it can tear through anything. Suffice it to say, you don't want to mess with one. It'd be like messing with Sasquatch. You would absolutely be the loser in that deal. So for all practical purposes, Benaiah doesn't stand a chance against this lion. But it doesn't stop him. Because for whatever reason, Benaiah not only decides to stand up against this lion on this day, but he decides he's actually going to chase him down. This lion must have done something bad to tick off Benaiah, make him chase that lion. It appears that as he's chasing him, that this lion makes a critical error. He slips and he ends up in a pit that's covered with snow. Now, why do you think the Bible mentions, out of all the details it could mention about this battle between Benaiah and this lion, why do you think it mentions that it's snowing on that day? Well, you have to believe that the lion already has a bit of an advantage, right? I mean, it's bigger, it's faster, it's more powerful than any man. But you have to remember that a lion is just like a big cat. And they're a heck of a lot more sure-footed than any person would be, and it makes it just that much more difficult to fight when your back's up against the wall in a pit and you're slipping and sliding on snow. You have no traction. So it lays it out to show just how difficult this was, this ordeal was, between Benaiah and this lion. The Bible doesn't tell us whether or not he had a weapon or if he fought the lion with his bare hands. But considering the fact that lions hunt anything from giraffes to water buffalo, I promise you Benaiah would be no problem for this lion. He is nothing more than a light lunch to this lion. I would say Benaiah's chances of getting out of that pit alive are about a million to one. But you have to hand it to him. The kid's got heart. Scripture doesn't give us a blow-by-blow description of exactly what happened that snowy day in that 
pit. But what we do know is that when all was said and done, and the snow clears, the lion was dead, and Benaiah climbs out of the pit alone. Now, if we can use this story about chasing the lion as a metaphor for chasing our dreams, Benaiah did what lion chasers do, right? He defied the odds. He wasn't focused on all of the things that could go wrong. While they calculate the risk, they don't run from it. Lion chasers don't avoid risky situations, and they don't back down from making the tough choices and walking through the hard times. I don't know this for sure, but I'm just guessing you've encountered a few lions in your life, fallen into some pits, had some snowy days where you felt like your back was up against the wall. Maybe for you, it's a God-sized dream that absolutely scares the living daylights out of you. Maybe for somebody else, it's some addiction or issue that has taken control of you and you find yourself at the bottom of the pit looking up. Or maybe there is like this cloud of self-doubt that surrounds you and you question everything to the point that the resolution for the problems in your life seem insurmountable, against all odds. Whatever it is for you, I am convinced that most of us are just one lion chase away from fulfilling our dreams and getting freed up in our lives. I can't promise you that it'll be a short chase or an easy chase. I can't promise that you'll climb up out of that pit unharmed. But where you end up in your life will come down to how we react in those few moments when we cross paths with the lions in our lives. In other words, life comes down to just a few critical moments and we go left when everybody else is going right. Or we act with a sense of passion instead of fear. Or we act with a sense of mission instead of conformity. We choose to move in the direction that God is leading us instead of going with the pack. And it changes everything. It changes who we are. And the same is true with Benaiah, because while he was just kind of this young guy chasing lions, his life changes as a result of it. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, after it talks about the fact that he killed this lion, it says he also struck down this huge Egyptian. Another scripture says that he was seven and a half feet tall. And although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went up against him with a club and he snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Says such were the exploits of Benaiah. But then, when you get down to verse at the end of verse twenty-three, it says, "And David put him in charge of his bodyguard." So King David puts Benaiah in the most prestigious position 
in charge of his secret service. The guy that's basically in charge of his life. You, you know, I can't say that I would ever wish ending up in Benaiah's shoes and ending up face to face with a lion in a pit on a snowy day. But you have to admit one thing. It sure looks good on your resume, doesn't it? I mean, when you're the king and you're wanting to hire the right kind of person that's going to take the risks and make sure that it's a person that's going to stick their neck out for you and risk their life to make sure that you are protected as you're going through the stack of resumes and you come across this resume that just has one thing on this piece of paper, killed a lion in a pit on a snowy day, it's a slam dunk. This guy's your huckleberry. But I also can't help but wonder... If David just didn't have this special connection where he saw a little of himself in Beniah, because if you connect the dots, David was himself a fellow lion chaser. When David was younger, he was actually in charge of King Saul's bodyguard, largely as a result of a bout that he had with a giant named Goliath. But we read earlier in 1 Samuel that when David was a young shepherd, he himself would chase down lions and would kill them when they would try and steal his sheep. Don't be messing with his sheep. And David, it says, went on to become king. Lion chasers get opportunities that other people would never ever get a shot at because lion chasers grab life by the main, so to speak. As you read through the scriptures, you'll see that Benaiah not only was the head of King David's bodyguard, but he was there with David at all the critical moments of his life. And then after David died, his son Solomon took over as king. And King Solomon obviously had observed Benaiah's commitment and loyalty and service to his father. And so he actually made him commander-in-chief in charge of the entire Israelite army. As you read further in Scripture, you see that Benaiah's kids actually became prominent members of the cabinet. And you could go on and on. But it all started when an ordinary young man found himself in an extraordinary set of circumstances and he made a tough choice to face down this lion in his life and it became a defining moment for not just his life, but for the next generation. The simple definition of success is doing the best you can with who you are and what you have. And that when you go to bed at night, you have made the most of every single opportunity. Because every single day of our lives, we are faced with opportunities, and how we seize those opportunities makes all the difference, doesn't it? Most of us would like our opportunities neatly packaged with a bow on top so that we can easily unwrap it. If we're going to face down a lion, we'd like it to be medium rare and served on a silver platter. But life doesn't work that way. And opportunities aren't always that pretty, when they present themselves. In fact, most of the time, they look more like big, hairy 
problems than great opportunities when we first see them. It honestly doesn't matter how many Moabites you're facing or how big is the Egyptian you're fighting or how fierce is the lion that you're chasing. The issue is really quite simple. How big is your God? And do you believe that in those moments, when the tough times hit, and we do what we're asked to do, that God will show up? The thing that I've learned about God is that he loves it when the odds seem impossible. He lets us deal and he lets us do our thing and and try to work it out on our own as long as we can until it seems like we can't do it anymore. And just in the nick of time, God shows up. His timing is not my timing. He doesn't show up necessarily when I want him to show up. But he always shows up. Let me ask you this. What if Benaiah had actually been killed by that lion? How would everything have changed? He would have looked absolutely foolish, wouldn't he? I'd be up here preaching about Benaiah, and instead of being the great lion chaser, I'd be using Benaiah as an example and saying, now don't do what he did. Let's play it a little safe here. Don't be chasing lions. And everyone would be saying, can you believe this Benaiah guy? He actually believed that he could beat a lion? How ridiculous. But lion chasers aren't afraid to do something that looks quite ridiculous to others. They don't worry about what other people think about them. They're just single-focused on the mission that is set before them, and they believe that their God will come through for them. Somehow, some way, when there seems to be no way, God shows up. You know, I have to say, looking back um, on the history of Westridge, as we've been preparing for the, the state of Westridge thing on Wednesday... Looking back, when Westridge was moving into this idea of building a building, we prayed this ridiculous prayer. God, lead us to a piece of property where we could actually afford to build a building. It was ridiculous. And then when we actually found this piece of property that we thought would be absolutely perfect, we prayed, God, give us the wisdom to know how to figure this thing out. Wisdom. Everybody else thought this was absolutely ridiculous. A church of 200-ish people, an annual budget of just over $200,000, took on an $8 million land and building project. People outside the church were laughing at us and said, absolutely no way. And we're going to talk more about the story of how it all unfolded Wednesday night. But suffice it to say that if the project were just eight months later, I did this calculation. If the project was just eight months later, 
as the economy was collapsing, we would have lost so much money that the church would have had to declare bankruptcy and we would have had to pack up our bags and call it a day. But God didn't let that happen. And in the nick of time, God showed up. I, I wish I could stand up here and tell you that every lion chase ends with a nice lion skin hanging on our walls. But it doesn't happen that way. What sets lion chasers apart, I think, is not the outcome or the result or exactly what happens as a result of the chase. But it's the courage to chase God-sized dreams. You see, lion chasers don't let their fears or doubts keep them from doing what they feel that God is calling them to do. As I was reflecting on the history of Westridge, I just was struck with one of the things that I love about this church is that there are just so many lion chasers in this place. You know, I think about people like Kathy Burheit, who before we had a plan about a building, or even before we knew how we were going to pull it off, or when it was just even a thought, when the question was asked, she raised her hand and committed dollars without even knowing exactly what the commitment was going toward because she believed in this dream. She believed that God was leading us eventually to this place. She didn't know how we were going to get here, but she knew she wanted to be a part of it. And even though it was a sacrifice, she felt God's leading. People like Doug Jotts, who left a comfortable life to become a teacher in Haiti. Or more recently, the one that pulls on my heartstrings the most, uh, Eric and Jen Goodman. Eric, who's one of our main worship leaders here, has just made the decision to walk away from a very promising uh, career in the business world, where he has the world's greatest boss, by the way, me. <laughs> but he is fulfilling his dream to go into full-time ministry. And while we're going to miss his gifts, his musical abilities here on stage, and while we'll miss Jen in Kids Crossing, we know that God is going to bless this lion chase because it's something that they believe that God is leading them to do, and they're going to make a difference in this church that they're going to. And it's huge. And it's scary, and it's risky. But God will bless that. I could go on and on. I could name for you lion chasers here in the church who have overcome addictions. People who have climbed their way out of financial pits and have turned their lives around. People have, who have faced hard times and in moments where it was absolutely probably embarrassing to walk through what they had to walk through to the rest of the world, they made the tough choices to hold the line, to do what they believe God wanted them to do, and it changed their lives forever. I, I don't think there was any other greater lion chaser in the Bible other than Peter. I mean, Peter was a great example. And I can't help but think of the story of how when the disciples are just hanging out in the boat 
minding their own business. All of a sudden, Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And they're all blown away by it. But Peter is so inspired by what he sees. He says, Jesus, just command me to come out to you and I'll, I'll come out to you walking on the water. Jesus says, all right, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat and he's doing brilliant for about a New York minute. And then he starts looking around. He gets distracted. He goes, I can't walk on water. And he starts sinking. And Jesus reaches out and grabs his hand and says, Oh, you of little faith. Why'd you doubt? But the fact is, he got out of the boat. He chased down the line. And he would have rather been out in the water sinking than back in the boat safe. You see, I think there are two types of people in the world. There are lion chasers, and then there are criticizers. There are the people who are willing to go out and to chase down their dreams. They're willing to get out of the boat and to walk in faith because they believe that God is leading them to this place. And it may seem crazy or insurmountable. It may seem against all odds, but they're doing it. And then there are those who stay back in the boat where it's safe. And they criticize everybody else who's out there in the water saying, man, this is ridiculous. They need to be more like me. Let me ask you, which one are you? Are you out there chasing the lions? Are you out there chasing your dreams? Becoming the person that God wants you to be? Are there dreams that are buried so deep in your heart that you've just forgotten all about them? And I think far too often we stop chasing our dreams because it's too much work. Or we get tired. Or we start chasing the wrong things that lead us down the wrong path. And we get all distracted about our focus. But when you think about those dreams and you think about chasing those dreams and just how insurmountable it may appear, don't focus in on all the reasons why not to. Focus in on the one reason to do. Because you feel like God is leading you to do this thing and you just can't shake it. And you know you can't do it on your own, but you also know in your heart If you do it, God will show up. The thing that I've learned about chasing lions through the years is that dreams become a reality by conquering one opportunity at a time. One after another, after another, after another. And most of the time, what looks like a big old lion that's really scary. When you start dealing with it and you start moving through it, you realize it's nothing more than just a little purring kitten and you can handle it. Don't miss the chance to capture your dreams. Don't miss the chance to be the person that God created you 